Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Greetings A to Z of festival people and uh, yeah, thanks for bearing with us. I had three weeks off where I kept on thinking, right, going to get a podcast out this week and then uh, something came up or we did a festival or something else. So uh, yeah, it's been a little hiatus in the A to Z of festival land, but you know, we can uh, we can deal with that and we're back and we're back strong. We've got a great uh, new sort of second series of podcasts coming up and really delighted today to be joined by Claire O'Neill. How are you doing, Claire? Very well, thank you. I'm very glad to be here and especially kicking off your your return as well it's there an honour <laughs> opening season two Claire O'Neill So, um, I mean, you know, forgive me, but there may be some people listening that don't immediately recognise the name Claire O'Neill, but, you know, we've been working together for, well, pretty much 15 years? I'd say probably about 15 years, yeah. Yeah, so you've done so many things with us from booking the ferries for best of all, which... (laughs) What a task. I know, I mean, that that task before you took it on had kind of destroyed three or four people. (laughs) Like, it, it, it might sound... sort of daft or simple to people but booking the entire operation to bring an entire sort of festival from the mainland to the Isle of Wight was was pretty insane I think we had around about two and a half thousand ferries to book in the space of roughly five weeks on and off the island and bearing in mind the capacity didn't increase from what would normally come on and off the island so it was trying to squeeze it in through every nook and cranny and then also fit it in with the site build schedule as well so I think a lot of people might have um, been highly frustrated to have to speak to me but (laughs) (laughs) Hello, it's Claire from Best of I'm just going to change your ferry. But I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously we're not here to talk about um, booking ferries, but I I sort of looking back now, you know, you know, I mean, watch this space. You never know with Best of it may uh, pop back. But, um, you know, I've been thinking a lot about the different uh, sort of aspects of it. And, you know, I just take my hat off to you because it was such a monumental task. Did it did it ever sort of nearly break you? Were you sort of tearing your hair? Um, I did. I remember the first few years, it definitely pushed me to tears. Like I had a couple of moments where it just went 
ooh, okay, this is a bit much now. But then um, it's such a good team all around that, that understood like the kind of degree of the task and it would always come together in the end. And so despite it being hugely stressful, it was also hugely rewarding because when you came onto site, you'd see this huge festival and every single little piece you'd like you'd been part of you'd have a link there. to it yeah and also when it was finished and everything was off the island it was completely finished and that's a very <laughs> satisfying kind of job to have because normally jobs tend to just roll on and evolve and never be completely done and that's what I quite love about events actually and that job in particular it was a beauty when it was done that's <laughs> ticking all kinds of nice angles with my OCD I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I like a tidy tidy fit get everything done get everyone off the island and crack on (laughs) so I mean our paths have intertwined a lot since then you know you 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 are you know a sort of jack of a lot of trades you I mean the thing we're going to talk about today is is the work that you've done in the green space um, to do with festivals events um, which you pretty I think you were probably involved with when we first met you but you are now you know you've got a greener festival you've got a greener festival awards you're totally intrinsically linked with I mean, it's fair to say independent and major festivals every... Yeah, yeah, exactly, across the board. I mean, Agrina Festival started from when I first did my dissertation about festivals and the environment in 2005. <laughs> and then my dear lecturer, Ben Chalice, um, who's a great person, just re- maybe you should interview him at some point, actually. Ben would be, be hilarious. Good. So he's yeah. also Glastonbury's lawyer, isn't he? He is, yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. That's his mate. That's his job, really. Um, but yeah, so we teamed up with him back So he in was your day. lecturer? Yeah, he taught me... Um, um, intellectual property law for um, and copyright law for the music industry. Wow. Originally, I was working with record labels and doing the digital new media licensing kind of stuff. But um, but then I was so into the festival scene that I quickly kind of uh, hung up my label hat and and ran off into the woods. <laughs> so to speak. Get back but, to your um, roots. Talking of running off into the woods, it was actually free parties in the woods that first inspired me to look at sustainability in relation. To festivals because mm. I went to work on some major festivals in 2004, 2005, and then continuously from then onwards, um, and saw that on the f- the free parties that were happening on a small level, they had lots of things like solar panels and um, fair trade food, recycling, composting, and these kind of things. And on the major festivals, they didn't have that yet. And so I thought, well, how can how can these two worlds kind of meet on these really positive? Um, areas i suppose yeah yeah, and it's and it's kind of mad um think about that because yeah i hadn't thought about it like that but i remember going to free parties like gumbo in oxford or spiral tribe and and yeah you're right that then they had sound systems going around that were powered by solar and you you thought that was a bit of a kind of gimmick or at least it was definitely new and Mm. why on earth haven't the rest of us managed to even catch up to that level (laughs) still you know 20 25 years later it's it's a bit embarrassing yeah i mean to be fair on a major scale that if you've got a huge amount of power that's needed then solar power wouldn't be the best way to power like say the pyramid stage for example um but the concept and the idea of, of caring for every single element of the space is something that definitely uh, kind of needs to to continue to be passed over from that kind of alternative scene which I think it is more and more now and that also the technologies have come along that you could power huge stages on renewable energy as well of different types 
Oh, that's great. I mean, so it, it really is a passion for you that's turned into a job. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was quite unexpected. Cause I, and I've done quite a few things over the time. Like, for example, for six years, as with the Association of Independent Festival, with you and, and our good friend uh, Ben Turner. And... Um, and then also I became a circus performer in the meantime, so <laughs> doing lots of aerial circus performing um, and working with Arcadia as an aerialist and as a show manager on their their shows with the spider as well. Yeah. Um, so lots of different things going on, but always there was that thread of a greener festival um, just because there was so much interest for it as well as, as a passion from my side and all of the people that I work with to make it happen. Um, but the last five certainly the last two years the amount of interest and the acceleration of um of how much is happening in the space of making things more sustainable is just completely uh, unprecedented it's like an exponential increase in in activity and awareness which is very exciting but it's also quite hard to keep up with <laughs> yeah 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 i mean it's probably fair to say that maybe when you were first talking about this to you know us and a lot of festivals it, it was kind of like um yeah you know claire that's really interesting but actually this is oh, this is what we're worried about at the moment you know competition yeah. or talent or price of this or you know and, it, and we i think a lot of us always tried our hardest to do stuff whereas festivals like shambhala you know for a decade have been Mm. completely on board with that and but but yeah now you you can't avoid it you as a festival promoter events organizer you cannot mm. go into this space without having your green absolutely. hat on absolutely it's become quite a central part of it and it did used to be something that was a nice to do and a lot of festivals did so much as well i mean um, many of the events were quite pioneering in different kind of innovations and that's one of the beauties of the festivals because you've got the opportunity of creating infrastructure from scratch so if you wanted to for example um, change a sewerage system uh, to do that in a city it would take a huge amount of investment and a lot of risk um, and then if you were to do it it's if it didn't work like that's a major problem and a major amount of money lost whereas when you've got temporary cities essentially you've got the opportunity to try those different um, ways of doing things and that's beneficial for informing technologies for kind of urban sustainability but also for um, for emergency situations or where there's huge amounts of people that suddenly need an infrastructure and so, so have you have you actually seen that happen that yeah, technology from festivals has yeah gone to... absolutely especially in the sanitation side of things um, so there's there's organizations like I know that Natural Event have done work in that space. And I've, then, I've just written down Natural Event because yeah. I just saw um, he, he, he is someone that we need to talk about. Yeah, with. he is a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, <laughs> the yeah. ultimate disruptor. <laughs> <laughs> I should, yeah, should get... It's Hamish, isn't Hamish, it? Yeah, Hamish, yeah. Hamish, yeah. Hamish Skirmer. We're talking about Hamish, who, um, for those who are not in the loop on... Um, what does he call his toilets? I mean, I know they're compostable Poutopia toilets. Poutopia is one of the designs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You sort of always have to sort of slight, <laughs> slightly grimace as you as you sort of talk about it because it's talking about poo and wee and um, you know people ah. going to toilets. But he he lives and breathes, you know, um, <laughs> poo and wee, doesn't he? Like, he does. He does. You sort of maybe sort of touch elbows with him rather than shake hands all the time <laughs> when he's when he's in the in the build. But I mean, you know, that that sort of thing. He he came to us and um, and a lot of festivals with mm. this like 
like, hey guys, you don't need these toilets that are just flushing stuff into rivers and here and there and being taken away. You know, use a handful yeah. of sawdust, use this system and I'll take it away. Yeah, and- yeah. There's lots of systems. They're, they're essential crux of kind of what makes a sustainable toilet system, I suppose, is does it harness the nutrients that are in it? Because there's things that are, are being depleted in our soils, for example, um, different types of nutrients that are essential building blocks for growing food. And because of the way that we've um, used the land for such a long time, these things are really valuable resources. And at the moment, that's something that you can get through what goes into the toilets. Um, but we put harsh chemicals into it and clean it all up. Um, rot- so kind of treat it as a, a quite bad waste problem mm. rather than actually a resource. And obviously it's hugely complex and it needs to be very carefully done because it's human waste, you know. <laughs> but it's actually not human waste, it's um, it's nutrients. Um, the other thing is trying to not use water as well because these systems um, don't use water usually, the compost toilets. Um, another example is Luwat, which is um, generating electricity from what goes into the toilet. And they do a huge amount of work um, in places where they've got severe need for sanitation as well. Okay, how does that work then? So... Now, I'd need to look at the finer details, but they essentially shrink wrap everything that goes into the toilet. <laughs> Please don't turn off listeners. We are, we are getting on to some other subjects soon. But. It always goes down this route somehow. Um, and then the, um, the, because there's a lot of calorific content and what goes in there, then you can generate electricity through the process. Uh, you need to talk to Virginia, who's the person that's the actual engineer of it, to get the finer details, which wow. I highly recommend. You can yeah. have a poo series, in fact. Yes, we're going to do a whole, whole series just on poo. Um, but yeah, I mean, this was, this was going to be a very short intro, which is turning into a fascinating chat. I mean, the, 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 the meat and drink of this was going to be that we're going to do a um, 10 things that uh, festival yeah. goers can do to help the environment. Is that is that it in kind of yeah. in a nutshell? Yeah. So, I mean, before we do that, though, because I do just want to talk to you about your silks and your circus and Arcadia, because <laughs> I remember when you were working with us at, at the Association of Independent Festivals and... Um, you sort of just dropped into a conversation oh yeah I'm doing doing silks I don't even know what silks were and I mean that that is essentially a kind of not a trapeze but it's um Uh, so it's the fabric that you climb up and roll down and tie yourself up into it and yeah. yeah. And are you, are you actually tied on to anything? Uh, no, you kind of make loops here and there so that you might at some point have it around your thigh or your hip or your arm or your neck if you're doing a neck hang. <laughs> don't want to get that one wrong. No. Um, but yeah, it's lots of you different things. You don't want to get any of them wrong, so, do you? No, you, know you I mean? don't, you don't. Generally, so, my biggest fear was getting stuck rather than falling off. Right. <laughs> but um, but it's all sorts of different aerial stuff. Do Some of it is um, on trapeze or silks or rope. I started doing chains for a while but I think I'm going to stop that now it's too abrasive (laughs) Um, and then harness work which is what I do with Arcadia and that's the most fun because normally if you're in harness it means you're really high and possibly hanging off some kind of heavy machinery so it's um, yeah that's the best I love the look of passion on your face (laughs) I I did me and my 11 year old son did a um, the zip wire in London at the weekend and that was really 180 steps Brilliant. up and that terrified me so much just stepping off these metal steps not being allowed to ha- hold on and then sort of uh, jumping off and I, I am not uh, not cut out for didn't silks. you get taken up on the crane once at best I, I did yeah by um, yeah off HMS best of all yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I looked like I was raving in the I'd audience and I had a harness on and the girl came down, hooked me on, and I suddenly got whisked into the sky, and that was the most terrifying three minutes of my life as Good well. Good on you. <laughs> okay, well, let's move off um, silks and everything into... Um, actually, just w- one quick thing. Um, what 
you know, fast forwarding through the, those sort of two decades or fifteen years that you've been doing this, um, what what do you think the, the two or three things that you've really seen in the last few years? Because the, the first one of these podcasts I did was with em- Emily Evis, and we were talking about steel goblets and the, mm. the plan that Glastonbury had to kind of ban single-use plastics and to not not even have pint glasses and stuff anymore. Um, and you know, they've obviously came a long way. Glastonbury made huge huge strides this year. What what are the th- sort of two or three things that you think have really made a difference this year? I'd say um, probably the biggest thing is the amount of awareness about food impact now Um, because for a long time we've known the quite obvious impact of travel to get to places but actually the production of food is hugely significant and you've seen more and more festivals now increasing the amount of vegan or vegetarian food which generally has a much lower impact because of the land use um, and especially if you're getting seasonal produce that's relatively local um, but mainly it appears to be the land use that's the biggest impact of the food that we eat mm. so because more festivals have been starting to program or curate their food options I suppose that's had probably a really significant impact in the amount of I suppose we'd call it carbon equivalent but I'm not going to get too technical (laughs) (laughs) I saw saw a big debate on the Boomtown um, forums after Boomtown Mm. about them them talking to their customers about about going um, meat free and and Shambhala already does that doesn't it yeah yeah it does yeah it went meat free um, I think probably about four or five years ago um, and they had an insect stall in there and they were stimulating debate as much as possible. Um, so does that mean you, you couldn't even cook bacon in the campsite? I, I think that it didn't go that far but I wasn't involved on the ground there so I couldn't say for sure but I think that that was one of the arguments that came up because if a festival doesn't provide good sourced quality meat and then the audience just buy really bad bacon rashers from somewhere that's that's not well sourced mm. then is that actually a, a plus or a minus um and i think that that's something that's really important to take on board that there's the one thing is just avoiding meat altogether however if you're going to eat meat or fish then where is it actually coming from many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care plush care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey they can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify plus they accept most insurance plans to get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. 
Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Rob DeBank's A to Z of festivals. Subscribe now and please remember to rate. So yeah, I mean, uh, Claire Claire has um, come up with 10, roughly speaking, kind of bits of advice, tips for, for you guys, the festival goers, maybe some of you are festival promoters out there. So this we've probably tailored this a bit more towards um, the, the festival goer rather than yeah, the industry exactly, yeah. because... Um, um, yeah, but it, it may it may cross into that. So yeah, far far away with uh, numero uno. Cool, numero uno would <laughs> would be prior to actually getting to the festival, get informed about what they're doing. So if you go onto any festival's website now, like you were saying earlier, Robbie, it's um it's very likely the festival is doing something already. So have a look at what their plans are and what they're asking you to engage with, and that might be something related to transport or things to bring, things not. To to bring um, and make sure that you get involved with that. If there's nothing there whatsoever, then um, instead I'd recommend that you get in touch with the festival and say, well, what are you doing? <laughs> then maybe you can have even more influence um, by actually making them think about it if they haven't already. Yeah, I mean, so most festivals most festivals have a, a um, uh, you know, sort of T's and C's and green pages and stuff. Yeah, and they, you know, exactly. T- tell you what they do and, you know, and, and litter bonds and stuff like that as well. Is that what yeah. you're saying? So. Yeah, so there might be things like litter bonds, for example, where um, if you arrive at the festival, you get given a, um, a bag for sorting your recycling and then you give £10 or something in advance. That might be part of the ticket price. You need to then take it back in order to get your bond back, for example. So have a look at what's going on and what you can get involved with. Um, there might also be things that you can volunteer with as well. If it's a festival that you're in love with and you're part of that community, then how can you be part of the the solution because mm. it's not just about the festival organizer alone um it's the audience audience are creating the festival as much as the organizer are you know it's a participatory thing so what can you do to help so that'd be number one i reckon um, number two would be to um, really go slim on what you're packing. So think about what you need to take in advance. And if and if you're going to get all sorts of new elaborate costumes, then get them secondhand or share things or find reclaimed stuff that you can get so that you're not generating loads of new things that are going to end up waste at the end of the day. Um, so many people have gone to so many festivals now that there's a huge amount of fancy dress stuff already out there so make yeah. it really unique and go and find stuff that's already been done go um, slim I like that so yeah so um, get down on the number of accessories and uh, outfits and, and also still a lot of people taking a mad lot of technology and speakers and you know music yeah. speakers and stuff and it's like there's enough music there and you yeah exactly to- exactly and it's probably because I'm not actually um, 18 anymore <laughs> but not far off <laughs> but um there's nothing worse than when you've already listened to like 36 hours of music and then you go back to the camp and someone's playing more of the same music next to your head obviously that is actually part of the fun for many people (laughs) (laughs) we're not going to be the fun police here we're going to embrace that Exactly. I suppose yeah. The message is don't don't take anything that you can't also take, yeah. take away with you. Maybe. Exactly, exactly. And also, it's um, 
that can relate to what the festival is saying on their environmental pages or in advance because if they've worked out a really kind of closed loop system on what they're doing with um, with materials that are on site then if you bring in loads of other stuff that doesn't fit their kind of systems then it can cause big problems um, so I'll go into some specific examples on that in a second actually for when you're actually on site um, so prior to going and leaving the house as well number three is to turn everything off before you go that doesn't need to be on unless obviously you've got housemates that's a bit mean (laughs) (laughs) Um, and check the fridge check the cupboards make sure you're not leaving a bunch of stuff that's going to go off while you're away Um, there's been a few um, studies obviously often people say well wouldn't the most green festival be one that doesn't happen at all but again that's kind of getting into fun police territory and we don't want that to happen there's a lot of um, important social engagement that happens at events and also we talked about the benefits that they have for generating new ideas and technologies and systems so we don't want to lose festivals no i love that idea though that i don't think many people would think about that about actually yeah, what are you leaving behind at, at home mm. and, uh, you know, in terms yeah. of electricity consumption? And, yeah, because uh, if you can turn stuff off there and make sure that nothing's getting wasted there, then you can actually have a lower impact by living at a festival for a week because you've got communal cooking, communal living, you've not got everything switched on the whole time. So, um, nice. so yeah. Like and then everyone should just spend more time at festivals. Exactly. So you've packed really light already. You've got informed about what's happening you've turned off all the things that don't need to be on and sorted out your waste food so that there isn't any Um, and then when you're on the way to the festival oh first of all you need to choose how you're going to travel there and that needs to be as low carbon as possible somehow Um, if you were going to festival back in the day you could have swam there (laughs) yeah that was one one way yeah if you were very brave yeah you just need to get oiled up in advance (laughs) and off you go did you Um, ever do that I didn't know. I was. Um, I could get the ferry for free. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's doing so many people so many favors. That's it. I couldn't miss my free meal on the ferry. <laughs> <laughs> but there, yeah, I mean, there are loads of um, tons of festivals doing bike bike to yeah, uh, exactly. biking to their festivals and exactly. So, so that's an option. And there's actually a festival in the Netherlands. Oh called Into the Great Wide Open mm-hmm. and um, they trialled last year a, um, a luggage service where in the local towns they were doing a collection of people's um, camping equipment and stuff so that people could travel um, in a lower kind of impact way and then they would just collect their stuff when they got to the festival wow. which I thought was a really nice idea um, and then um, there's also usually packages that you can get where you can take the bus along with all your other festival folk to get to the festival and that way you can start the party in advance as well. Um, so again, that, that links with getting informed. If you desperately really have to drive, then make sure that you share all the spaces that are there. There's usually things like um, go car share and lift share that you can use. Um, and obviously there's social media where you can connect with people as well to come together. Nice. Is um, that three, four. That is. Um, that's only. <laughs> that's four, I think. Okay. Four. Yeah. These so number great. number five is to beware of supermarket psychosis. Ah. And I I fall victim to this as well. You're on your way to go to a festival. You think, well, stop off at the supermarket just to get one or two things, and you end up getting shopping trolleys full of stuff that can just perish in the campsites. Okay. So <laughs> does, is that including like um. 
very cheap tents and kind of camping stuff that you don't necessarily really need or, or is yeah. it more food stuff? Um, or? Both really and actually we can link this with number six because number six was about camping stuff. Mm. Um, so when you go into the supermarket you might think oh I'm going to make all of my own food and so you'll buy loads of pots of hummus um, and um, I don't know Sausages Spinach in a can. Sausage, exactly, yeah. So you'll end up getting You're coming at it from a healthier option <laughs> I am, yeah. angle than many 18-year-olds who have got those like That's breakfast true. in a can, like sausage, beans, <laughs> egg. Just have exactly. one of those each day. <laughs> exactly. But what we see is that loads of food gets left over at the end of festivals in campsites. Right. Um, so um, just try to not take more than what you need again. Yeah. Um, and also just buying random stuff that's in there too um, that's that's just going to end up being single use and going in the bin. Well, I suppose it's exciting, isn't it? It's like when you go on holiday as a kid, you know, you want a, 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 a word stuff, search or, or, a, or a, you know, yeah, pens exactly. and paper and, you know, you, you kind of get excited in the car and, yeah, when you're going to a festival, it's like, yeah, I need, you know, cider and, and, and sweets and, and chocolate. and Yeah, exactly. But the thing is, there's so many good things that you can get. It depends what festival you go to, I guess. But normally there's going to be a lot of really really interesting stalls caterers who are usually independent businesses as well mm. who are coming there with quite unique things get so you, you generally don't need to bring loads of extra stuff to site you're going to spend most of your time out in the arena having a good time anyway yeah um, but playing devil's advocate i mean i know a lot of people you know that have saved you know some people saved all year for that ticket mm. and you know they haven't got that much um, spare cash left once they've once they've got there so I think the thinking is festival food can be expensive and yeah, um, yeah. You know, the festival campsite um, shop can be more expensive than than a Tesco's or an Aldi Tesco, or, or, yeah. or a yeah. Morrison so yeah I mean I, I do understand why people have, that, have, have to that take mindset stuff in advance and, yeah. that's where I mean that's where it has to meet in the middle because what, what a number of events are doing now as well is starting to do affordable meals so every caterer is asked to do a meal that's at this set price okay. and they need to offer that on site um, and obviously you can still take stuff into the festivals but just try to not make it be too much stuff so it ends up going to waste because mm. that's what we see at the end is that although you've got it to be economical you end up wasting money because you throw a lot of it away so just try and try and be measured avoid the psychosis <laughs> yeah, <I like> that. <laughs> um, and then with the camping as well if there's the opportunity to get something that's pre-pitched like for example there's um, Camp Light who salvage tents and then they pre-pitch them on events but it's not boutique camping so it's not like crazy expensive um, but it means that you don't need to take put up pack down your tent um, and if you do do that then get something that's durable and that's not just going to end up smashed up to pieces um, and that you're not going to leave it behind in the end also don't smash up other people's tents <laughs> that would be nice no, it's not very nice it's not very <laughs> festival friendly but yeah I mean with, with Camp Light and Tangerine Fields and all those services you, you know you get your bedding as well and yeah. yes it is, it's extra money but if you're not going to use that tent that you're going to buy again that year mm. or you think you're going to buy another one the next year then maybe it's a yeah, you know, it's worthwhile. Because you had, um, I think you had a chat with AIF a few months ago as well about the the dress yeah. on plastic campaign, and they did um, kind of a, I suppose, an example of one tent is the equivalent of about eight thousand 
plastic straws. So if you're worried about plastic pollution, then think about what leaving any kind of camping equipment yeah, behind yeah. is going to do. Um, and if it's being left because it's being broken, then get something that's going to last yeah. in advance because um, otherwise the amount of water, oil, energy, plastic that goes into the process, we just can't sustain you it. You are full of sound advice today, Miss <laughs> O'Neill. Okay, number seven? Uh, number seven is toilets. Yes, um, we love that. We love Who toilets. Yay! So we've talked about those quite a lot already, but um, again, this comes into uh, getting informed in advance. What kind of toilets are actually there? Because some of them you might need to actually help with the process. So, for example, we talked about the toilets that use the um, the sawdust, um, and then there's other types of toilets that might not use sawdust, but you need to not put things like sanitary products and um, and especially um, baby wipes. Baby wipes don't break down in the sewage systems and they also, they, they just don't decompose. They often have plastic in them. So if um, if you can avoid baby wipes, certainly for the toilet and even for washing as well, take a flannel and put water on it, uh, old school style. <laughs> the listeners can't see the grimace on my face. <laughs> I'm quite a seasoned uh, toilet festival goer, but uh, yeah, yeah, crikey. A flannel. Don't mm, use a flannel a in the toilet. Flannel. More for washing your face. Oh, right, okay, good. I wondered what you were... I thought you were talking about recycling nappies there, but um, okay, cool. But yeah, that's an important one as yeah, well, actually. Nappies, um, sanitary products. It's quite difficult, actually, because on the one hand, there's lots of reusable um, items that you can use for that. But then on the other hand, there might not be the facilities at the festival to deal with, with reusable nappies or sanitary products. So sure. that's something that there needs to be a bit of work on that, actually, yeah. generally across the industry. Okay. Um, and then food choices on site, we already touched upon. That's number eight, I believe. Yeah, food choices on site. Mm-hmm. So for one, not taking too much stuff with you. And then if you are going to buy things... Um, are you actually thinking about where has this come from? What's the information that the stalls are giving? Um, if, if they've got fish or if they've got meat, is it MSC, Marine Stewardship Council, or is it Red Tractor Meat, for example? Um, or if you know that there's going to be a lower impact from having vegan or vegetarian food, then can you try some of those options instead mm. as well? Um, I think it's fair to say, you know, 10 years ago, um, you know, you had the the noodle bar you had the fish and chip place and it was all a bit sort of homogenous and no detail and Mm. now it's amazing when you go to festivals the amount of detail that you can get and if it's not written up there on a chalkboard then maybe just ask the uh the, the person in charge of the trader because they're, they're so they're not they're, knowledgeable yeah. and they, they also have to tick boxes for the promoter don't they so yeah. they'll often be only using recyclable cutlery or um, yeah, you know, exactly. um, plates and stuff so all that stuff you know you might not see it straight away but yeah talk to the traders because they're, they're mostly friendly yeah and it's coming from all directions as well because the the promoter might be asking we, we want to do XYZ in relation to the food offering and the serveware etc the trader themselves might have their own passion about trying to minimise their environmental impact. People generally, like everybody in the audience, the staff, the crew, all of us, want to improve things. So we're starting to find that there's a real meeting in the middle of all of these areas all pushing mm. in the same direction, uh, which is why big leaps are starting to happen, actually. Serveware. I'm glad that you used that word because I didn't know... <laughs> what, what to call it serveware I have to talk about it so away. much needed to be able to <laughs> summarise it <laughs> okay 
Um, and then number nine, reusable cups and maybe even cutlery, um, bottles, etc. Um, obviously, this is something you think about in your packing before you go. Um, most events now um, provide plentiful places where you can refill your water and a lot of them do chilled or filtered etc um also the coffee traders if you're if you're going there that can uh, they they're quite used to doing refills you can usually get discounts as well um and many of the bars um are starting to use reusables as well where where that makes sense if there is a reusable with a deposit or a levy then try and bring it back in the end because um um, I mean, obviously, you could take away your, your souvenir if you want mm. to, if it's got something related to the event. But the more that it gets actually reused, yeah, then sure. the more that it's actually an environmental benefit. Yeah. So, well, the, um, I mean, especially at family festivals, um, kids have definitely cottoned on to the fact that uh, taking those <laughs> yeah, glasses and exactly. um, pints back to the bar will, yeah. will be some uh, extra pocket money. Yeah, so. I think it was Download Festival in, I think it must have been 2005 or 2006, did, um, did a reusable cup deposit. And they were like, this is great. But they had to start to then make secure areas because suddenly <laughs> yeah, it became yeah, a valuable yeah. commodity. Kids just in the bin, like <laughs> exactly. their feet sticking out. Cool. Um, and last but not least. And number 10, um, I've actually put Ask the Artists mm. on number 10 because um, like this year we did a Green Artist Rider with um, Paradigm, who were Coda Agency formerly. And this is where I was talking about how all the different areas are starting to meet in the middle, which is pushing everything in the same direction. Um, from a greener festivals perspective, often there'd be a lot of really good initiatives happening on the festivals, and then it would come to the artists' area or the dressing room or the riders, and suddenly it would stop. It'd be like this is almost like a, an untouchable area that yeah. can't change. Um, whereas now we're starting to see that a lot of the um, riders, hospitality riders certainly that are coming in, are starting to request. Um, different green elements, whether that's a reduction in plastic or locally sourced food, etc. So that's really helping the organisers in some cases to be able to deliver what they want to and, and everybody's going, oh, OK, so we want the same thing here. Let's work yeah, together yeah, yeah. on it. Um, equally, in the, in the kind of days of social media, everyone has such an influence and if the if the fans of artists are asking the artists well what is it that you're that you're doing to help the scene to be more sustainable um then you might be quite pleasantly surprised or you might again have a really good influence um on your on your favorite artists there's been a few artists who've done incredible stuff recently um one dj for example blondish um has started this bye bye plastic campaign uh where they're doing an eco rider for djs internationally mm. um and they're starting by working on on the plastic side but then also a much bigger issue um that everybody's trying to scratch their heads around is how we're going to keep doing international touring yeah. um when at the moment <coughs> the transport industry is so carbon heavy so but the more the more people that start to ask the right questions and push the right buttons the quicker we'll um crack the nut I think. that is that is brilliant ask artists is number 10 you are a fountain of knowledge and uh, <laughs> we could kind of talk about this all day because it is one of the most uh, crucial things we, we <laughs> should is. be talking about it's with festivals urgent. but thank you so much for um, oh, coming in and sharing that knowledge so 
for people that do want to get more involved, want to find out mm. some more info, where's the best places to um, um, so reach our, you? Or... Um, if you go to um, www.agrinafestival.com, there's a huge amount of resources there and it links to lots of different areas, people who are doing great work in, the, in all the different topics that we've just talked about um, and we'd be happy to point you in the right direction. Wicked. Agreenafestival.com. There you go. That's Claire O'Neill. Thank you so much, Claire. Thank you. We'll see so you out in the field. <laughs> Cheers. This is Rob DeBank's A to Z of Festivals. Subscribe now and please remember to rate. <laughs>